Hey there, my name is Jonathan Galvan, and I'm one of the pastors at Redeemer. Uh, we're so glad that you're tuning in to this sermon, and we pray that this sermon would be an encouragement to you. So please enjoy. Thank you, Neil. And the pastor there in uh, in Moldova and the leader of a church planting seminary there is going to be here in Midland uh, with us at Redeemer in a couple weeks, Eugene or Yevgeny. Uh, so we're excited to highlight this again in a couple weeks. All right, do you have a Bible? Go to Matthew chapter 6. If you've been around, you knew this was coming. We are in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' longest recorded sermon uh, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, we're going to spend the bulk of almost a year walking through this sermon. Uh, and I was, I was thinking about this week that it's really kind of crazy that Jesus preached this all in one sitting. This is one sermon, one morning or afternoon, whatever it was, uh, for Jesus. And uh, his church has been learning from it and chewing on on it for 2,000 years, uh, and uh, we're just taking our time working through it, and we're going to wind up uh, today in Matthew 6, uh, verses 5 through 8, when Jesus, in his sermon, he shifts his attention towards uh, teaching his disciples what prayer is, what prayer isn't, and how to pray. Uh, if you've been with us, again, you know that this sermon of Jesus is not delivered to the masses of both Christian and non-Christian. It is tailored towards Christians or uh, people that would say they're disciples of Jesus. They have believed on his grace. They want to follow him with their lives. And so he is teaching disciples how to pray. Uh, many of you, maybe you struggle with prayer. Uh, maybe you struggle with taking some time to truly sit down and make it and incorporate it into your daily lives. Uh, I hope that uh, you see part of not just the instructions of Jesus about how to pray, but his heart towards prayer and our need for prayer in a society like ours. That's we just really love to get things done. And now that we have this distraction that we carry around in our pocket with us at all times, uh, sometimes it can be very, very difficult to truly incorporate uh, a deep sense of prayer. And so we want to not just teach on it this morning, uh, but then have some time to pray together. Uh, prayer, basically, so Jesus just jumps in in a moment, we'll read this, uh, to explain what, what to pray and what not to pray, and he, he kind of gives some details about how to do it. Uh, he doesn't necessarily share what prayer is, um, so I want to give just a little bit of a, a, a de definition, uh, if you will, about what prayer is, and then we'll jump into the text. If we could boil it down just to, to be very, very simple, uh, prayer is a conversation. It's communication between us and God, and if you know anything about Christianity, you know Christianity is based on a relationship, right? Like the goal of Christianity is for people to have a relationship with God. Sin broke that. Jesus came to restore that. So through Christ, we can have a relationship with God. And at the core of any relationship is what? Communication. It's communication and conversation, and where communication and conversation wane, uh, the relationship normally suffers. And so that's why uh, prayer is such a monumental thing for Christians, because what God is after is a relationship. Um, think about it this way, that if we, if we misunderstand the gospel itself, and we think that Christianity is mainly about following rules, doing the right thing, avoiding the wrong thing, then if that's the definition of Christianity, there's no need to pray. It's, it, there's, just, there's just no need because the, a, a big part of the point of prayer is to cultivate and enjoy a relationship. And so Matthew chapter 6, 
verses 5 through 8, is Jesus teaching us about prayer because prayer is at the heart of Christianity because at the heart of Christianity is a relationship with God. So if, in your, if you're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, give me the best, heartiest, ready that you have. All right, let's go. And when, circle that word, that's an important word. And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites because they love to stand and they love to pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they have already received their reward. But when, circle that word, that's an important word. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. It's probably only fitting that we take a few moments and pray uh, so that uh, the Holy Spirit might lead us into a, not just a good understanding of prayer, but even a good application of prayer. So let me invite you to bow your head, to close your eyes. Even if you're so inclined, feel free to raise your hands. Uh, We talked about in our men's Bible study this week how Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 to lift up holy hands as we pray. So uh, pray with me that this would be an impactful sermon for our hearts and our prayer lives. Jesus, we pray to God the Father through you, the one intercessor between God and man who has provided a way for our prayers to be heard at the throne of grace. And God, I pray right now that you would send your Holy Spirit in a very uh, powerful and maybe unique and definitely personal way to each one of us um, to teach us why it is that we should pray, how we should pray. And I pray right now that you, Jesus, would be exalted and that you would be, uh, you would fill up our hearts even as we pray. We love you. Ask your Holy Spirit to guide us. And all of God's people this morning said... Amen. If you notice the phrase, and this is really the phrase that I want to camp out on this morning, and when you pray, that shows up three different times in these handful of verses. You'll notice that Jesus doesn't say, because he's preaching to Christians, to disciples, he doesn't say, if you pray. What does he say? He says, when you pray, because he totally assumes that if you're a Christian and if you're a disciple, you're going to pray. Why? Because of relationship. Because if you have a relationship with someone, you're going to converse or you're going to have some communication uh, with them. Let's say, just for an example, uh, to understand why Jesus says when, not if. Uh, Let's just say that uh, someone is married. uh, You would not go up to this person that's married and say, if you ever talk to your spouse, would you tell them this? Right? What would you say? You would say, when you talk to your spouse, tell them this. Because a relationship presupposes or assumes that there's communication taking place, right? How many of y'all, when, if you're married, when you were going through uh, premarital counseling, someone told you that communication is key? Anybody? How many of you understood that? And then a couple weeks later, you really understood that. You're like, oh, this is what they mean. Communication is key because in a relationship, as goes communication, oftentimes so goes uh, the strength or the health of the relationship. So if you have a relationship with someone that you have not communicated with for weeks, months, years, the the, the relationship suffers. So Jesus just, like, a, he, he assumes Christians are praying, but if, if you, I think it's safe to say if you read into this just a little bit, uh, he, he says, 
three times. And when you pray, not if you pray, that a prayerless Christian uh, was somewhat inconceivable to Jesus. Like someone that claims to have a relationship with God yet doesn't pray. It's just so unconceivable that he doesn't even address it. And so he just says, uh, when you pray. Um, A few things about this phrase, when you pray. Some uh, versions of your Bible translate it whenever you pray, uh, which is, it's very similar, obviously, a lot of overlap. Um, But the the whenever you pray uh, comes from this this word that really means, uh, it's like whenever you pray being an indefinite point of time. That may not sound uh, super important or pivotal for us when we hear that, Uh, but if you're a first century Christian uh, or a first century Jew particularly, um, they were expected oftentimes to pray at certain times of the day, and uh, during those certain times of the day, they were expected to turn physically and face toward Jerusalem. Some first century rabbis would even say you need to fixate your heart on imagining the holy of holies in your mind, and then you would uh, recite these certain prayers that you had memorized. And so it was almost formulaic where, well, it's 8 o'clock, I've got to pray, I've got to face Jerusalem, I have to quote these prayers that I have learned. And so sometimes it was so regimented that it completely lost the purpose of prayer. Uh, when I was in, uh, I think it was probably seventh or eighth grade, I played a handful of sports growing up, but I remember my first year playing Little League Baseball. Uh, I remember, I don't even know if this happens anymore, maybe not, I'm going to age myself a little bit, but at the beginning of the game, both teams would stand up on the first baseline and the third baseline, and we would together, I mean, this is a city league, right, city of Amarillo. We would sit there, and we would all stand there before the game, and we would quote the Lord's Prayer. Did anybody else do that, or was this just an Amarillo thing? Okay, two of us. Well, let me talk to you now for these next few moments. And I remember thinking, like, I knew some of the kids, like, just pagan as pagan could be, and here they were just kind of reciting mindlessly, heartlessly, uh, this kind of, you know, prayer that didn't really mean anything from our hearts coming out of our mouths. Like, that's a little bit of probably what not just was taking place, but sometimes can easily take place in our hearts and minds. So it's like, it's, a, it's actually a powerful thing when Jesus says, hey, whenever you pray, like you don't have to be, be driven by the clock and by a memorized prayer. Just you can pray whenever, just whenever you pray, an indefinite point in time. I think this is Jesus very specifically kind of rejecting the idea that if you're going to have a healthy prayer life, then you need to make sure that it's at 8 o'clock and at noon and at 6, and you say these you know, fancy phrases and these prayers that are memorized. And there's, there's a place for, for prayers that we memorize if they come from the heart, right? So Jesus obviously was devoted to prayer, but when he says whenever, uh, he is basically saying your prayer life doesn't have to be driven by the whim of a clock and by the ability uh, to memorize something. When you pray. And then he gives us a couple things about uh, how the hypocrites in the first century uh, would have prayed. And just as a side note, like this is why Jesus would get himself in so much trouble. Because he starts painting this picture of like, don't be like the hypocrites that stand in the synagogue and on the street corner. And then immediately uh, the thousands of people that he would be preaching to would know exactly who he's talking about. Some of them were probably in the crowd, and they're like, I don't appreciate that, Jesus. I don't appreciate you calling me out. That's a whole other uh, 
uh, sermon for a whole other day. But he talks about the hypocrites and why they pray in the synagogue specifically and on the street corners. And probably what would take place is they would come in and they would make sure that they were standing up so that everybody around could see them. And they would pray very loud so that everyone around could hear them. And they would pray very fancy prayers, long prayers filled with very, very theological terms so that everyone would be impressed with them. Uh, And Jesus basically says, you know kind of who I'm talking about and what I'm talking about, don't be like them, okay? For any of you note takers out there, write down, hypocrite, don't do that, okay? (laughs) That's that's what he says. Do not be like them. Uh, So he kind of gives this warning to us, uh, not just, it's, it's not just about praying in public or in private. He's talking about the place of our hearts when we pray. He says, if you're like the hypocrites that just want to impress people with your language and your long prayers, or if you want people to think you're very spiritual and very mature, they've got their reward. They got what they were after. God didn't listen to the prayers, but people think they're cool, right? So he says, don't, don't do that. Um, but, and then he gives us the contrast. So don't be like the hypocrites, but do do this. But when you pray, there it is again. He says, go into your room and shut the door. Now, is that to keep out the devil? Anybody else sing that song growing up? <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know why this morning I was in my study early and I read that phrase and that song popped into my mind that we used to sing back in the 90s, shut the door, keep out the devil, shut the door, keep the devil in the night. It's a horrible song, bad theology. That's not the reason Jesus says, go into your prayer closet and shut the door. Shouldn't even have given to you that. I thought you maybe had had that. <laughs> so, uh, Jesus is talking about a very specific type of prayer. There's, if you look at just the New Testament, or, or, or you incorporate the Old Testament as well, there's a lot of types of prayer. There's corporate prayer uh, where we all pray together. You see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You even see Jesus and the disciples being involved in corporate prayer where we pray all together. That's one type of prayer. There's kind of what I would say is more of like a small group type of prayer uh, where either families or friends or people gathered in homes uh, through hospitality pray together. You see that, uh, especially in Acts, small groups of people praying. Uh, But then the third type of prayer is just private prayer. It's one Christian praying to God. That is the type of prayer that Jesus is instructing us on. He's not negating the other ones. I think he's just focusing in on this one type of prayer that for that, for that audience and probably for us is very helpful and very timely. Go into your room and shut the door. This is not small group prayer. This is not corporate prayer. This is something that I think should be like, like the staple bedrock of prayer, like a big part of like the church's corporate prayer life should be individuals in their homes or closet, as it were, with a good, solid, robust relationship with God where we're constantly praying alone to God. He says, get alone. So I want to walk through four things when Jesus talks about just this one portion here. Number one, he's like, when you pray, go into your closet. Or basically he's saying, get alone, get away from distractions, okay? Uh, This one... My wife is, uh, she has kind of carved out this place in her closet uh, that has become her prayer nook because the, the goal was to remove distractions. And so she could go in there and there's like 
three doors between her and the kids. Only two doors between her and me, so I can still distract her a bit. Uh, but she goes in there, she has a pillow, she sits down, she reads, she prays, and it was all fine and good until last week, no lie, a mouse shows up in her prayer closet. I don't know that she has been back in there uh, since then. So we're looking for a new place for Hannah. But we caught the mouse. I thought that would get a standing ovation. If Hannah were here, she would. Get alone. What's the point of prayer? To get alone, to get away from distractions. So if you say in your mind, listen, I really don't have much of a personal prayer life, consider location, okay? Consider the location. Go to a place, find a place consistently where you can go to get alone, to close the door, so to speak, to get away from the distractions. Do not bring your phone in with you if you can avoid it because that, like, it's hard to close the door and have the phone. The distraction is still there. And I think, especially with private prayer, one of the things Jesus is after, it's like there's nobody to impress. You're not trying to say the right words. You're not trying to have the right uh, phrases or to sound theological. You're not distracted even by trying to pray in a corporate setting. So, number one, think about location. Get alone. He says, go into your room and shut the door. And then he says, and pray to God. Does he say that? No, he very specifically says, pray to your father. And this was a a revolutionary idea that Jesus would really kind of roll out and highlight that for the normal Jew when they're praying, they would not think about God as a, a father or as a, as a daddy that loves them, and yet Jesus teaches us if we're going to pray, go into our room, close the doors, and pray to our Father. And he uses that word a few times in this text. Why is that important? Why, does Jesus, why do we need to understand the fatherhood of God in order to have a good, healthy prayer life? Probably an inexhaustible thing, but I've got a few thoughts here for you. Uh, number one, nobody cares more about you than your Father, right? Nobody cares more about the big things and the small things than your father who is in heaven. He's not a boss because a boss is kind of limited to what they know and care about. He's a father, right? If you have kids, um, you know that like nobody around you is more concerned about your kids than you. And so if God is your father, nothing is too big, nothing is too small. Pray to him as a father because no one cares about you more than a father. Second thing, he cares about the big and the small things. I don't know how many splinters I have dug out of my kids' feet that you couldn't even see them. Just like takes like almost a, a magnifying glass and my little Havilon knife to kind of dig them out and get them out. And it's like, you know, the, it was not a life-threatening situation, but I took care of it. Why? Because I'm a father. I love my kids, right? Nothing too big, nothing too small. Third thing, if you pray to a father, then you remind yourself you're, you're praying inside of this secure relationship. It's not based on how well you do, how much you perform. It's based on the fact that he has decided to call you a father so you can be honest with him. You don't have to hide anything from him. You don't have to pretend. Why? Because you're praying to your father. Go into your room, shut the door. Pray to your father. And number three, he reminds us, don't use empty phrases and too many words. Okay, I've talked to a lot of people in the last few months probably uh, that are new Christians and feel very intimidated either at community group or at church because uh, sometimes when people pray, they use words that maybe they don't even understand or they don't want to use. And uh, so sometimes that can feel like a barrier, like I don't even know if I'm praying right. Listen, have a conversation with God your father. 
so Jesus kind of like, you know, don't use a whole bunch of empty phrases. That's, that's what he says, empty phrases and too many words because the hypocrites would just like go on and on and on because they thought, well, if I use enough big theological language and if my prayer is long enough, then God will hear me more. Jesus is saying that's not the case. Sometimes one of my kids will come into the room and they will just start talking really fast. And a few minutes I'm like, okay, slow down, stop. What do you want? Okay, what do you need? Let's just cut to the chase because I want to do it. I just need, you don't have to impress me. I mean, they don't come in with like big theological terms. Uh, but they come in and you all know what I'm saying. They're, they're just talking. And it's like, no, 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 just, just tell me what you need. And so if you're a new Christian, like learn the theological terms. They're important and what they, they, they mean are very important. But talk to your father in a way that makes sense to you. Just normal language. I... Uh, I prayed with a friend of mine this week that's walking through some very, very difficult times. And uh, basically the prayer was this. God, would you please help my friend? God hears that. God hears very simple prayers, very short prayers. But what Jesus is saying is you're not going to grab God's heart attention more if you try to drag it on and make it sound really good, right? Right? Don't use empty phrases and too many words. And then he says something at the end. He says, remember that your father knows what you need even before you ask. It's interesting that he does. That's kind of counterintuitive what he just said. Almost logically, and some of you, maybe if you have a more skeptical uh, way of looking at things, this would make more sense to you if Jesus would have said it this way. Now, your father knows what you need, so don't ask him right? Like he knows what you need, so what's the point in praying? But that's not what he says. He says, he knows what you need, so, so ask him anyway. Why? Because prayer is about relationship. A lot of times, kids walk in the room, I know what they need, but I want to hear from them. Why? Because I want a relationship with them where we communicate and we talk. This is Jesus giving us some instruction on how to pray. Third time, he says it, and when you pray. So maybe before we get to this next session, the next week we're going to unpack, Jesus says then, then pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. He's going to give us more instruction on how to pray. But I think for this morning, maybe even before we get to that, uh, we just need to kind of hang out a little bit in the when we pray um, because some of you, we may have to get you there first. You're like, I don't pray. Okay, let's get you to pray first. And, and, and then we've got the, okay, now when we pray, uh, Jesus is going to give us some more things. There are a lot of things that take place in our lives, in our hearts, every day, that if we train ourselves, those things can drive us to pray. They can be somewhat of little red flags that when these things go off in our minds and our hearts, um, they remind us to pray. And if we have enough of those, then all of a sudden we become people who pray constantly, or as Paul says, to pray without ceasing. And then that, that you just kind of develop and cultivate this prayer life with Jesus in all sorts of different circumstances, and then all of a sudden it makes so much sense when Jesus says, okay, when you pray, do this. So a couple things um, that I, I want to kind of put into our, our memory where when these things happen, they need to be a trigger for us to pray. Okay, when you're happy, everybody say happy. You ever been happy? <laughs> Thank you, Davis. 
When you're happy, you're filled with joy. That should be like a signal, like go, go pray. Just think, whatever it is that caused that, thank God for it and tell him about it. Uh, my daughter, she's 10 years old. She was so unbelievably excited when she made the National Elementary Honor Society uh, a couple weeks ago. She came home from school. She came running and she couldn't wait to tell dad and mom and to celebrate. And I loved it. I loved it. So it's like she just triggered, oh, I, this is something really happy and joyful in my life. I want to go tell mom and dad. Like in, in a Christian's life, something happy, good, joyful happens, boom, pray, thank God for it. Okay? Um, how about when so, there's something to celebrate, something to celebrate in your life, something to celebrate in your job, something to celebrate uh, in regards to a prayer that you have been praying or a blessing that you have been given. God wants to celebrate with you as a good dad would his children. Uh, let that be a cause to pray. Uh, what about when you're sad? Has anybody ever been sad? Dumb question, right? Life hurts. Life is difficult. What do you do when you're sad? Let that be a reminder to pray to talk to God. When my kids are sad, I want them to come to me, share that with me so that I can hug them, I can help them, I can wipe away the tears. God is a father, that's what he does. When you're sad, let that remind us to pray. Any of you ever been angry? You're like, not since the drive here. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> the drive to church is sometimes the most difficult Six hours of the week. Um, James 1.19 says, let us be slow to anger, right? When we're angry, we need to not just be, James talks about being careful so that we do not sin in our anger. Well, how do you do that? Well, when you get angry, you should probably pray. You should probably talk to Jesus before you talk to someone else. Uh, ask God's thoughts about things before we share ours. When you get angry, let that be a cause to drive you to pray. It doesn't have to be long. Just go in a door. That's probably a really good time to go in the closet and shut the door. Amen? <laughs> go in, close the door, vent to God, talk about why you're angry, pray. When you're angry, let that trigger you to pray. Uh, has anyone in the room ever been anxious? Probably all of us at some point, Philippians 4, 6, Paul very specifically says, do not, he, he, he knows we're going to be, be bombarded with feelings of anxiety, which statistically what I'm reading now is like the predominant problem that most Americans are facing, uh, especially your 25-year-olds and down, just this increasing level of debilitating anxiety. What do you do when you're anxious? Do not be anxious in anything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, with prayer, supplication, let your prayers be made known to God. So even Paul says, listen, you're anxious, boom, that should cause you to pray. And tr tr true or false, sometimes when we're sad, when we're happy, when we're anxious, when we're angry, those cause us to do other things. Those send us to other places it's like, let that be a reminder that we're a people of prayer. We have a relationship with God. When we feel anxious, pray. Confused. Anyone ever been confused about what to do in life? You're like, I'm confused. Every Sunday morning when that guy starts talking, I can't follow him. Like, confused. What do you do when you're confused? Pray. Talk to God. Relationship with God. What about when you're scared? When you're scared, talk to God. Pray. What about when you're hurt? You've been hurt by someone. They've hurt your feelings. They've hurt your body. They've hurt something about you. You are hurt. What do you do when you're hurt? 
we can sometimes just kind of take it in and, 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 and mull over and just internalize it, or we can pray and talk to God about it. Uh, if you need wisdom, what does James say to do? Pray. Ask for it. He's like, if any of you lack wisdom, like, I don't know what to do about this job. I don't know what to do about this relationship. I don't know what to do about this opportunity. I don't know what to do about this child. I don't know a lot of good things to do. You can Google things. You can talk to things. And one great thing to do, pray. He says, that because he will give it without question. He will just give wisdom if you ask. If you need wisdom, pray. What about if you're tempted? What about in a moment that you're tempted to sin? What should you do? Immediately pray, and that will, that, that is such a different snowball that happens than if you don't pray and you give in to that temptation. At the moment that you're tempted to sin, you fill in the blank for whatever it might be for you, pray. Grief. I was thinking this week because there's a lot of people in our church and surely people that you know that are walking through very, very difficult things. What do you do? And my memory was turned back to Jesus in the garden when he had a lot of, I don't know if it, fear, grief, sadness. He was about to be beaten to death naked in public for the sins of the world. He was very stressed out, very anxious. And you see him kneeling down in the garden praying. I don't know what that prayer looked like. We have portions of it in the scriptures. But you see that when he was even, even when his best friend Lazarus died, it just says very simply that Jesus wept. Like crying is a form of prayer. Did y'all know that? God hears liquid prayers. All, all this to say, this is just a handful of things that when these things happen inevitably in our lives, what do we do? We, we let them remind us and force us back into a place where we pray, we share with God, we listen, we, 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 we bring our needs and our fears and our celebrations to him, and then we become, we're a people that pray. And so Jesus says, when you pray, we're like, oh, okay, I know what he's talking about. There's a lot of talk um, the last couple weeks uh, about revival in our nation. Uh, I don't know, many of you have probably seen the news, and what it seems like uh, something really unique is taking place uh, in a handful of college campuses where students are just gathering uh, and, and they're praying. And, you know, revival is an interesting thing. I've prayed for revival for seven years for not just myself, my family, this church, the city, the nation. I think it's a good and a right thing. Uh, and, and just some moments where, where the Holy Spirit just does something that's unexplainable. If you look at church history in America, you see that there's normally some type of big awakening or revival every 30 uh, to 60 years or so. And do you know what just is the spark that has caused just about every single one of them? Prayer. In fact, prayer, I don't even think this. Listen to this. I don't think prayer causes revival. I honestly think, and somebody said, I can't remember who, prayer is the revival. Like when God's people are just so hungry for him that we're praying. Like, that's it. That's how you know that revival is happening. Is a lot of new people becoming Christians revival? No, that's a result of revival. Those people are coming awake for the first time. A revival is people that have been revived and now are being revived. Y'all with me? Four of you? <laughs> like, what, what do you do if you want things to happen, if you want God to save your friends, if you want this movement in your family? Or this awakening in your soul. Like, I remember sometimes I was so moved by God. 
And I was so drawn in. I, God, I wish that would, that would return. I, I want God to save people in my family or to do a work in Midland that is unexplainable. What do you do? You don't seek revival. You pray. You seek God. That's what you do. It's, I think it's such a miracle when, when God's people just pray. That doesn't lead to the miracle. That is the miracle because we're seeking God in a very special way. So what we want to do this morning is to have some time to pray. We're going to have some time as we respond together this morning as, as followers of Jesus to just give you a chance to pray. Uh, and, and we want to overlap that a bit with communion um, because communion is such an incredible tool to remind us uh, just the access that we have uh, to pray to God as a Father because of what Christ has done for us. Um, so we're going to have a few moments and then a few songs for us to truly just pray. I, I've said this so many times over the years, location matters, posture matters. Uh, maybe you need to move and come kneel down at one of the benches. Maybe you need to turn around and kneel down at your chair and just simply close the closet door, put away the distractions, and pray. So I'm going to pray now, I invite Jonathan and the band to come up, and then we want to have some time carved out to pray. God, thank you for giving us the right to be called children of God and to call you our Father and to pray to you inside of a covenant relationship that you have extended toward us, that we have nothing to hide. You know all things about us, and yet you want to converse with us. Father, I pray that you might help us to be a people of prayer. Corporately, as we pray together, small groups as we pray together, and for each individual Christian in this room, help drive us into the closet where we can meet with you. We can hit our knees, we can lift up our hands, we can pray to our Father who knows everything about us and yet wants to listen and draw us in. God, I pray that through prayer you might do some unbelievable, unexplainable things that would cause Christ much glory. Love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.